begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what I'm going to present to you in these classes uh, is basically the life of prayer according to St. Teresa of Avila, uh, specifically what she says about prayer in her book, The Interior Castle, but also in what she says in her other writings as well. But we're going to focus mainly on, on The Interior Castle. And this is a supplementary class for the MIM, I call it. Uh, but anyone who, who, is, uh, who would like to come is more than welcome to come. Uh, I had planned on putting St. Teresa's, explaining St. Teresa's mansions during our MIM Sunday class uh, as I explained the Marian Seraphic Pathway, the biblical guideposts for uh, growth according to the Marian Seraphic Pathway, but I noticed that it was uh, TMI, too much information uh, all at once to do, to do that. So what I did was I decided it's better to have a separate class on St. Teresa's mansions. That way, our time is a little bit uh, less uh, restricted, and also that way anyone else who wanted to join would be more than welcome to, to come to these classes. The class today is going to be, and the class today and the next class, which will be held the last Saturday of this month, which I believe is December 29th, I believe, the last Saturday is going to be, this, this class and the one on last Saturday is going to be an introduction to uh, St. Teresa's thought in general, just kind of a, a way of helping us to have a basic idea before we start reading the interior castle, have a basic idea of what she talks about when she's talking about prayer. And for those of you who won't uh, be able to be here for any of the classes, I will record the audio as I'm doing now. So... I can make that available for anyone who's interested afterward. So I want to start out just with a little bit of very short information regarding her biography. St. Teresa was, of course, born in Avila in the state of Castile in Spain, and her birthday was March 28, 1515. She died at the age of 67, and she died on October 4, 1582 in Salamanca. And 40 years after her death, it was in 1620, 1622, she was actually canonized by Pope Gregory XV, and she was named a doctor of the church by Pope now St. Paul VI in, on September 27, 1970. Now for these classes, we won't go much into her life as a reformer, as a Carmelite reformer as she was, because we specifically want to focus on what she said and what she experienced regarding prayer. The church calls St. Teresa Mater Spiritualium, which means Mother of the Spiritual Life. And the last book that she wrote, which was The Interior Castle, is considered basically her masterpiece. And that's the work we're going to focus on in these classes. 
So whenever you hear the name of St. Teresa of Avila, usually you'll hear about the three most important works that she wrote. The first one is her life, her autobiography, which she completed in 1565. The second one is a little book called The Way of Perfection, which was completed in 1569, five years after that. The last work that she wrote was The Interior Castle, which was written between June and November uh, in, 19, in 1577, when she was 62 years old. So it was five years before she passed away. It's considered her most mature work as well. St. Teresa's basic spiritual itinerary was going from conversion to union. That's kind of how she saw the spiritual life. The spiritual life has uh, basically three steps, we could say, from conversion to union. Conversion is the changing of the mind and the heart. That's what the word conversion means. You know, when Jesus began his ministry in Galilee, St. Matthew tells us this. He says he began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Matthew 4, verse 17. The Greek word used in that gospel for repent is metanoia. Uh, metanoia means to change one's mind or change one's purpose. So for St. Teresa and for our Lord, for that matter, uh, the spiritual life actually begins with that change, with that conversion or repentance or metanoia in Greek. And it ends in union with God. Now in her book, The Way of Perfection, which was the second book that she wrote, St. Teresa writes this. She says, remember what St. Augustine tells us. How he sought God in many places and at last found the Almighty. Where did St. God find? Where did St. Augustine find God? Does anyone remember? Who knows St. Augustine? Where did he find God? And at last found the Almighty within himself. It is, no, it is of no slight importance, says St. Teresa, for a soul given to wandering thoughts as she was given to realize this truth and to see that it has no need to go to heaven in order to speak to the eternal father or to enjoy his company nor is it required she said to raise one's voice to address him for he hears every whisper however low we are not forced to take wings to find him but have only to seek solitude and look within ourselves you need not be overwhelmed with confusion before so kind a guest, but with utter humility, talk to him as your father. Ask for what you want as from a father. Tell him your sorrows and beg him for relief, realizing at the same time that you are unworthy to be called his son or daughter. So in order to find God, St. Teresa says, don't go searching for him all over the globe. You don't have to do that like an investigative reporter might do, uh, or like a restless pilgrim might do. He says, that's, she says, that's not necessary. Just look inward, look into the depths of your soul. Why? Because he's there. All of her spirituality is this movement towards God who's present in our souls in order to unite ourselves more perfectly to him. So the essential elements of her spiritual itinerary or spiritual journey are three. First one is the recognition of the presence of God in the soul, which is the fundamental truth upon which Teresa builds. So basically, God is present within me. That's the first and most important truth. 
The second aspect of our itinerary is the progressive interiorization of the soul, which explains the movement of the soul. Or to put it another way, we, we must... We move from focusing on our outward appearance, how we look in the mirror, for example, or what others think or say about us. We move from that to focusing on how we look on the inside and how our Lord thinks about us and what our Lord says about us. So it's not what others so much think or say about us. It's what our Lord says about us. It's this movement interior, this interior movement. So moving from our outward, what's outward, to what's inward. The third element of her spiritual itinerary is the profound union with God, which is basically the goal of the whole Christian life, this profound union with the Lord. Now, just so you know, uh, a little note here, there's nothing new age or pantheistic about what St. Teresa is telling us uh, with God being present within us. Uh, pantheism, what's that? Pantheism says everything is God. Uh, a New Age spin-off of pantheism says, you know, that we're all part of God or that the universe is God. That's false. You know, it's not true. It's a heresy. So be aware when you hear things like that, that it's not, it's not true. God's not part of the universe. I'm not God, and I'm not a part of God either. Uh, so we need to be careful about that because some people uh, do get confused when they hear things that, like, say, Teresa would say. So what does it mean that God is present within us? Well, uh, God is present within us, first of all, because he's omnipresent. That's one of his characteristics. He's present everywhere. Uh, presence is known as a presence of immensity, is what it's called. You know, we know this, uh, for example, when we hear the Psalms, Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. Remember what the psalmist says? He says, where can I run from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So God's presence is everywhere. But at the same time, God is not contained by any space or dimension. Nothing can contain God. So we can say that from, for someone who's not living in God's grace, for example, God, yes, is present in their souls, but he's present, shall we say, like a stranger who's present in our home. He's present like a stranger. Uh, remember what our Lord says, uh, or what he will say to those who on the day of judgment are cast into hell, are cast into damnation. He says in Matthew seven twenty three, he says, On that day I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Right? So he never knew them. Why? Uh, yes, because he was present to them in their souls, because God is present everywhere. But he was present like a stranger in our home, not like a friend. For those who are in God's grace, God is present in their souls like a friend. As a loving father, as a loving relative, he's present also with his grace as well. So all three persons of the Blessed Trinity live in the soul of someone who's in God's grace. That's what St. Teresa means when she talks about the presence of God in the soul, realizing that God is always present to us, that he's not outside of us, that he actually is present within us. That's the, her first foundational aspect for really growing in the spiritual life, is recognizing that. Now, in her spirituality, if you've ever tried to read St. Teresa, 
you'll notice that she didn't elaborate a system of thought or attempt to do a theological treatise in her writings. Uh, it means when you read her writings, it's not like reading a well thought out or clearly structured uh, Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas, for example. That's, that's not her style of writing. When she writes, she is a bit all over the place uh, when she writes, if you've ever noticed that, which is okay. You know, she herself said that she was writing mainly for distracted people. That was what she was saying. So it shouldn't surprise us if she herself was a bit distracted, uh, especially with all the activity that she had to do. Also, when writing about prayer in the spiritual life, uh, St. Teresa preferred direct testimony. What does that mean? Uh, she used that for teaching purposes, basically her own experience and the experience of those who she knew. She basically focused on that uh, when she was writing. So first and foremost, from experience, that's something to keep in mind when we read her writings as well. For St. Teresa, prayer is based on friendship. The asceticism, as well as the concept of prayer in her doctrine, is based on friendship all comes to center on the divine friend living in the soul. Consequently, the attention and the powers of our soul, the powers of the soul, turn to him and are directed to his service. So for St. Teresa, the goal of the spiritual life is not viewed so much in terms of ordering uh, or perfecting our human passions or instincts, uh, which is important. Uh, you know, living in ordered life, being controlled, by how God says we should think and act rather than being controlled by our passions or how the world says we should think and act. You know, that is important. It's important to do that, but that's really not her focus. Um, the Saint, Saint Teresa focuses on a loving communion with, as, he, as she says, his majesty with Jesus and the good works which are done in his service. So we didn't mention a word when I, in that part. Uh, I did mention a word uh, which may not sound too familiar. It'll sound familiar to some of you, not to all of you. The word asceticism. Asceticism. Uh, it'll be helpful to know what that means. I know the MIM already knows exactly what that means because we've explained it, I think, in other conferences. So, uh, But for those of you who, who may have forgotten, uh, I'll give you a brief explanation of what that is. Uh, the spiritual masters tell us that there are basically two phases to the spiritual life. You know, the, the first phase, they'll say, is the ascetical phase, phase. The second phase is the mystical phase. What does that mean? Well, the word ascetical comes from the Greek verb, which means to exercise or to train, uh, especially referring to athletic training. Uh, for example, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 17, 24 through 4, 27, he says this, Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself, I myself should not be disqualified. In the spiritual life, that the ascetical part, uh, the part of exercise, refers to the work that I do to conform myself to the image of Christ. Uh, what does that include? Well, 
Very simply, it includes fidelity to prayer, for example, avoiding sin, avoiding the occasions of sin, uh, practicing virtue, frequent reception of the sacraments, the corporal, spiritual works of mercy, performing those. All that makes up the first part of the spiritual journey. There's a part of the spiritual journey, this part of the spiritual life, where a lot of it is based on my own effort, obviously sustained and encouraged by God's grace, uh, because without God's grace we can do nothing. We can say, obviously, uh, began or initiated also by God's grace. But really the ascetical phase is where God wants to basically see my effort and my perseverance and my seriousness about living a holy life, about living a spiritual life. The more serious I am about my relationship with the Lord, the more God will actually help me to grow spiritually, the more grace he'll give me to actually grow. An image which may help to understand the ascetical part of the spiritual life is uh, someone rock climbing, the image of a rock climber, climbing up the side of a mountain, for example, with a harness, Uh, It takes a lot of effort to do that, but with the help of the harness, uh, you can get to the top. That's kind of the the image of the uh, the ascetical part of the spiritual life. The other part is what's called the mystical part of the spiritual life. It's the part where it's the action of God that predominates in my life and in my soul, not my own efforts. It's more God's work than it is my work at that point. Of course, I continue to do many of the things which we just mentioned, you know, fidelity to prayer, frequenting the sacraments, works of mercy, and so on. I continue to do all of those things, but I do them now more under the direction of the Holy Spirit than my own self-will, than with my own, uh, with my own reason. The mystical is more the unitive part of the spiritual life where I learn to truly unite myself to God and to live in perfect conformity to his will. And it's where, again, where I'm led principally by the Holy Spirit and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. It's the part of the spiritual life also where some people may receive extraordinary graces, uh, where we receive infused prayer, where there's even greater purification of our senses and of our soul, and where the soul is actually more passive And it's really God who does begin to take over in the soul. So if we go back to that image of the rock climber, you know, once that rock climber gets to the top of the mountain, imagine that there's a large hand glider there waiting for him so that he can use that to descend, right, to fly down. That hand glider kind of represents the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, with the hand glider, we can do humanly what's not possible. We can actually fly. And it's a lot easier than climbing up the mountain. Uh, That's a bit kind of what the mystical part of the spiritual life is like. You know, it's not a perfect image again, but I think it does give a, you know, a kind of a general understanding of what the the difference of those two stages are. So back a little bit to what St. Teresa said on the basics of prayer. Her definition of prayer is, is quite famous, and it has friendship as its fundamental notion. She says this about prayer. She says, mental prayer, and for mental prayer, she means prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. That comes from her autobiography. She says, prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him 
who we know loves us. In the next class, the next introduction will actually go a little bit more uh, in depth about her definition of prayer. We'll see how, how it differs from other definitions of other saints as well. So for St. Teresa, the way to this divine friendship is obviously through Christ. It's through Christ. St. Teresa tells us this. She says, He, quote, is the one through whom all blessings come to us. He's the one through whom all blessings come to us. And she says that different forms of friendship can be realized in our relationship with Christ. For example, He is our brother who enables us to call God our Father. Again, he is our companion, especially in times of trouble, in times of tribulation. He's also our teacher and our master who teaches us how to live and how to approach God, particularly in the Our Father. He is, especially in the higher grades of prayer, in the spiritual union. She says he is our bridegroom and our spouse. He is our Lord, the Lord of the world, our King, His Majesty. So there are all different ways that we can relate to our Lord in prayer and our relationship with Him. And in Jesus Christ, she says, God offers the soul human friendship as well as divine. Because Jesus is God made man. St. Teresa says, it is for you to look at Him. He never takes His eyes off of you. So your job is to look at him, says St. Teresa, because he's always looking, he's always gazing upon you. As with any friendship, prayer develops from the initial attempts of getting to know each other to the final, simplified, and intense relationship of complete union. So what we understand about forming natural friendships can actually be helpful to us in understanding how we can develop our friendship with the Lord as well. There's an analogy. It's a way of kind of helping us to understand how do we become closer friends with our Lord. Well, it's very similar to the way that we make friends on this earth as well. Getting to know someone, getting to know their character, spending time with them. It was a method of prayer which was popular in the 16th century in Spain, which is still used today. It's called discursive meditation. Discursive meditation. Uh, basically, it's the meditation when you have, uh, when you're reading something and you're you're reflecting on it, you're reasoning on it. Discursive meditation. Teresa said that she admired the many books of meditation that were written at her time that were written about this. But she thinks that uh, they're only helpful for those again who have methodical minds and are good at concentration she says uh, there are some methods of discursive meditation which are, are very complicated uh, they almost look like an engineer spreadsheet uh, if you read them uh, for some people they're actually very helpful they enjoy <laughs> some people who are engineer minded they actually think that that's a really great help for some who aren't and Teresa was not uh, for her it wasn't too helpful She said when she teaches her method, she has in mind those who usually don't possess those talents. Uh, Instead, she addresses those who with, those with, quote, and this is what she said, those with, quote, souls and minds so scattered that they're like wild horses that no one can stop. So if any of you fall into that category, uh, you should feel very comfortable with uh, St. Teresa. For those of you who don't, then it's an ascetical journey. It's a a little bit of a penance. (laughs) 
St. Teresa's advice for beginners in prayer is very simple. This is her advice. She doesn't give complicated steps to follow. Uh, she, she insists that in whatever degree of prayer you're in, it's love, not reasoning, that is primary. She says the primary thing is love, not reasoning, not using, not using so much your, your intellect to understand everything. If you try to use your intellect to understand everything, your intellect will probably explode because it's limited and you can't understand everything. You're not God. So she said love is primary, not reasoning. She says this, if you would progress a long way on the road and ascend to the mansions of your desire, the important thing is not to think much, but to love much. Of course, that doesn't mean that we don't need to use our intellect in prayer. No, that's not what she's saying. St. Teresa speaks a lot about actually putting our minds to good use in prayer. She does speak about this, so she doesn't say leave your mind at the door before you enter the chapel. Uh, what it does mean is that prayer is first and foremost, it's a loving relationship with God. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's not an intellectual exercise. Should we want to discuss a method in Teresa's teaching on prayer, we'd have to begin with her own words. This is a... In, a, in, a, in, in five or six words, this kind of explains her method. She says, draw near then to this good master. Draw near to the good master. That's kind of a, essentially her method uh, for how to grow. And she calls this prayer, practice of drawing near to Jesus, she calls it recollection. Recollection. And insists that an important aspect of prayer is what we already mentioned, that God... Uh, is very close. He's very near to us. That's a fundamental truth that she underlines. She says, all harm comes from not understanding that he is near to us. She says, all harm comes to us from not understanding that he is near to us. Drawing near to God is called recollection because, as St. Teresa says, quote, the soul collects its faculties together and enters within itself to be with its God. To look at him, to be present to him who is present to us and who is gazing upon us, to center the soul's attention on him. Now along with this prayer of recollection, the drawing near to the good master, as she says, who is Christ, Teresa suggests for beginners the recitation of vocal prayer, especially the Our Father, the prayer which Christ himself taught. Now, for Teresa, vocal prayer without the accompanying prayer of recollection, it wasn't really thinkable. You know, she couldn't imagine that. Uh, uh, vocal prayer and recollection are inseparable for her. So our reciting vocal prayer, you know, our gaze, that is uh, our intention, or our thoughts should be fixed on, in a, on our Lord. You know, it should be fixed in a simple way, in a loving way, on Christ, in whom the mystery of God is made known. Now, referring to that prayer of recollection, Teresa says this. She said that she never knew what it was like to pray with satisfaction until the Lord taught her that method. So for many years, she prayed uh, without praying very well until she actually learned what she calls the prayer of recollection. Recollection can be achieved actually through human effort. So that's why it's considered a part of the ascetical part uh, of the spiritual life. It's the part where we can actually achieve that through effort, obviously sustained by God's grace. And she said it doesn't take too long to get used to either. 
and through it one will gradually experience further growth through other deepening degrees of recollection. And we'll discuss that prayer of recollection more at length when we get to the third and the fourth mansions of St. Teresa's book and prayer. Now, vocal prayer with this, what's called being present to Christ or recollection, was the best means that St. Teresa knew for preparing oneself, for disposing oneself to mystical prayer, that second part of the spiritual life. She says this, the intellect is recollected much more quickly with this kind of prayer, even though it may be vocal with using recollection. And its divine master comes more quickly to teach it and give it the prayer of quiet that he would, than he would through any other method. So again, she's just saying it's so important to, you know, to learn, to, to draw near to the divine master, to learn, learn to actually focus yourself on the one who loves you and the one who lives within you to really grow in prayer. That's really essential. Teresa said that she learned that vocal prayer of this sort, so vocal prayer with recollection, withdrawing near to Jesus, could, what she said, calm the wild horses. This is what she found. Could calm uh, the restless faculties of her soul that were actually a, a really big problem for her. She says this, out of love for the Lord, Get used to praying the Our Father with this recollection, and you will see the benefit before long. This is a manner of praying that the soul gets so quickly used to that it doesn't go astray, nor do the faculties become restless, as time will tell. And she promises that those who use this method, she says, will not fail to drink from the fountain of what's called infused prayer, which we'll explain in the later mansions. St. Teresa's castle. Now the image of, of the castle itself. Now the book, The Interior Castle, is regarded, as we said, as St. Teresa's best synthesis on prayer, her best explanation of prayer. In her spiritual in it, her spiritual doctrine is presented through the unifying outline of seven dwelling places. Uh, among which there's a division into two sectors. So you can either call them mansions or dwelling places. Depends on the translation of the book. So the, they're basically divided into two sections. Can anyone guess, based on what, we're, what we've explained so far, what those two sections might be? Okay, someone's listening. Great. All right. <laughs> first three groups of the dwelling places speak of what is achievable through human efforts and through the ordinary help of grace, which is what we said, the ascetical part of the spiritual life. The remaining four groups deal with the passive or mystical elements of the spiritual life, called the mystical part of the spiritual life. So that's the, the general division, not only into seven mansions, but also into those two different groups as well. Now, in the beginning of her books, she writes this. She says... Today, while beseeching our Lord to speak for me because I wasn't able to think of anything to say, nor did I know how to begin to carry out this obedience because she was given the obedience to write this book. She says, there came to me, to my mind, what I shall now speak about, that which will provide us with a basis to begin with. It is that, that we consider our soul to be like a castle made entirely out of a diamond 
or of a very clear crystal, in which there are many rooms, just as in heaven there are many dwelling places. It's in the first chapter of her book. She says that. Now, one of her early biographers testifies that Teresa told him that on the eve of the Trinity Sunday in June 2nd 1577 that God actually showed her the whole book in in an instant in a flash he actually showed her the whole book that she was going to write she says this there was quote a most beautiful crystal globe like a castle in which she saw seven dwelling places this is Father Diego recounting what St. Teresa said to him There was a most beautiful crystal globe, like a castle, in which she saw seven dwelling places. And in the seventh, which was at the center, the king of glory dwelt in the greatest splendor. From there, he beautified and illuminated all the other dwelling places to the outer wall. The inhabitants received more light the nearer they were to the center. Outside of the castle, all was darkness with toads, vipers, and poisonous vermin while she was admiring this beauty which the grace of God communicates to souls the light suddenly disappeared and although the king of glory did not leave the the castle she says he says the crystal was covered with darkness and was left as ugly as cold and with an unbearable stench and the poisonous creatures outside the wall were able to get into the castle such was the state of a soul in sin and that was told by Father Diego, who was a former confessor of St. Teresa's, uh, whom he just happened to meet one day uh, in an inn in Arevalo, either in 1579 or 1580. So a couple of years after she wrote the book, this is what she told him about his encounter, about uh, her initial idea or inspiration to write the book. Everything was showed to her in a flash. The last thing we're going to mention today is what are the conditions for growth in prayer? What are the conditions for growth in prayer, according to St. Teresa? This is something which we borrowed from Father Dubé's book, The Fire Within, and uh, which I actually, I believe this was the homily for St. Teresa's feast day last two months ago. Uh, but it's good to go over again because it, it's very, very help, very practical, very helpful for what St. Teresa says. What are the conditions for growing in prayer? The first condition for growing in prayer, according to St. Teresa, is simply to do the will of God every day and to strive to live virtuously. Teresa writes this. She writes, the whole aim of any person who is beginning prayer should be that he work and prepare himself with determination in every effort to bring his will into conformity with God's will. So lining up our will with God's will is the first and most important step. She then adds that it is the person who lives in the most perfect conformity who will receive more from the Lord and be more advanced on this road of prayer. Second condition for growth in prayer is that growth in prayer does not depend on our circumstances. And Father Thomas Tubay explains it in this way. He says, we tend to suppose that if only we could find an ideal community, be it marital or religious or clerical, if only we could move or be or live somewhere else, if only 
we religious had a different superior. Or if only we worked with different employees. If only we had more money or less money. Then we would skyrocket in prayer. Not so, says St. Teresa. For the time is always propitious for God to grant his favors to those who truly serve him. So outward experiences don't matter if we're really dedicated to doing the will of God. Uh, Our outward circumstances aren't excuses because God is always bigger than our circumstances, right? There's no circumstance which is bigger than our Lord. Nothing happens which our Lord says, I didn't plan on that happening. I don't, I don't know where that came from. Right. The third condition for growth in prayer, St. Teresa says that it's not enough just to obey the commandments. She says that we need to generously go beyond what is strictly required. And Father Thomas Dubay, again, he puts it this way. He says, a man in love happily fulfills obligations, but he is eager to do much more. He gives the beloved everything and anything that will please her and that lies within his power to give. And the saints say it this way, everything we gain comes from what we give. And everything we gain comes from what we give. Uh, this complete generosity is so important for prayer, for prayer, for the growth of prayer. As St. Teresa says that there is no better test than this of whether or not our prayer attains to union. That is, giving everything we can give. So being generous in obeying God and serving Him and serving others is essential uh, for growth in prayer. That spirit of generosity. The fourth growth, fourth condition for growth in prayer is what's called purification, specifically purification from our faults. All the disorder that we harbor in our minds and in our hearts needs to be rooted out. We have to get it all out of there. Even after St. Teresa had been purified a great deal, even after that had happened to her and after she was receiving what she called sublime contemplation from our Lord, she still saw an abundance of imperfections in herself. She writes this, How I fail, how I fail, how I fail. And I could say a thousand times how many imperfections I see in myself. What laxity in serving you. Indeed, I think sometimes I would like to be without consciousness in order not to know so much evil about myself. Can anyone think of uh, something that can, in what way we can grow if we see the misery that's within ourselves? What can that help us grow in? God's mercy. God's mercy. Yeah, but I, I tend to think humility, right? Uh, if you see yourself as miserable as possible, at least maybe you can be a little bit more humble. Okay. So imagine how much uh, difficulty the person next to you is having, and maybe they're not even friends with God. Uh, you know, the difficulties that you see in yourself, and you're trying to do your best, uh, and you're still having a lot of difficulty. Well, maybe that can help us to grow in humility. And also to help us to grow in mercy towards other people, right? Towards those who aren't even, uh, don't even have God on their radar, shall we say. The fifth condition for growth is penance. St. Teresa does not counsel imprudent penances, but she doesn't want us pampering ourselves either. Okay. I think we're more in the age where we're tending to pamper rather than be imprudent. Uh, She doesn't want us doing either one. 
The surest way is to speak to a confessor or a spiritual director regarding a director regarding what penances to do and what penances not to do. That's the surest way. Um, obviously, the first penance is confessing our sins, but also denying ourselves of certain things as well. The sixth condition for growth in prayer is that God gives prayer growth according to our degree of readiness for it. He gives prayer growth according to whether we're ready or not. And if we're more receptive, he'll give more to us. If, he's, if we're less receptive, he'll give less. And Father Dubay says that a receptive readiness for infused prayer is far, far more important than any number of methods or techniques that we use or try in prayer. St. Teresa also says that God gives his gifts in proportion to the love which he bears us. But she ties that also and with our own generosity. And one thing to keep in mind is that you, you, can't, uh, you can't receive infused prayer by uh, putting it into practice, by, uh, by actually trying to do it. Why? Because it's infused. It's a gift. Okay, some people say, you know, I've, I haven't gotten to infused prayer yet. I haven't reached that level. Well, that's God's gift. So it's not something that we can actually do on our own strength. Uh, God decides. You know, with that, what he wants to do is see that we're being generous, that we're making the best effort that we can, and then we leave the rest to him. We leave those things to him. The next condition, the seventh condition for growth in prayer is more a warning than a condition. It's the fact that it's, it is possible to go backwards in our prayer life rather than to go forwards. So it is possible to go backwards. You know, Thomas Dubé says, just like an acorn growing into an oak tree can at any point fall into decline, disease, and even death. So a person who has begun well in the life of prayer can become lax and stagnant and possibly even abandon prayer altogether. Father Dubé, again, says that it's trivial selfishness. Uh, often, uh, that's the cause of this, you know, Centering our relation, centering on our relationships with others, you know, coldness or insensitivity or oversensitivity or insistence on our own views and own ways or unwillingness to be wronged, you know, truly to be wronged or just apparently to be wronged, dominating in our conversations, vanity regarding our positions or accomplishments, refusal to be admonished or corrected by our peers or our superiors. Basically, he says that selfishness is the, the, the root cause of failure to grow in prayer, going backwards. People advanced in prayer need to be especially alert to the subtle attractions also to mediocrity that they still have within them. So we have to be careful about that as well. We can uh, go forwards, but we can also go backwards as well. St. John Vianney said once, uh, the saints did not all start out well, but they all they all finished well, right? They all finished. So some of us uh, didn't start out well, um, but we need to finish well. Those of us who started out well need to finish well, need to continue with that. The eighth condition for growth in prayer is the sincere, earnest pra practice of virtue. Example, humility, temperance, patience, love of neighbor, all the virtues. You know, practicing virtue directly causes a deepening in prayer and, and a deepening in our, our spiritual life. <clears throat> and as the prayer develops and grows, it actually becomes easier to be humble, patient, and loving. You know, the more you practice the virtue, the more it becomes a habit. 
Uh, and a habit is uh, basically an action which you do uh, with a certain rapidity. And the more we do it with rapidity, the, the, the easier it is to, to do, the, re- the easier it is to acquire. So prayer and virtue reinforce each other like iron sharpening iron. The more virtuous you are, uh, usually the better your prayer life will be. The better your prayer life is, that will actually help you to be more virtuous in your daily, daily life as well. Now the last condition for growth in prayer is something we mentioned before, but it's simply this. It's simply determination, being determined. Now listen to how St. Teresa counsels those who want to be serious about prayer. She says, it is most important, all important indeed, that they should begin well by making an earnest and most determined resolve not to halt until they reach their goal. Whatever may come, whatever may happen to them, however hard they may have to labor, whoever may complain about them, whether they reach their goal or die on the road or have no heart to confront the trials which they meet, whether the very world dissolves before them, she says. So what she says is determination, never giving up, is very, very essential to growing in prayer. That's all I have written for this introduction. One thing we will mention is uh, not necessary, but it will be helpful to have uh, a book to, to read as we go along uh, with, the, with, with, this, uh, with these classes. This book on my left is the book published by Tan, The Interior Castle of the Mansions of St. Teresa. This is the one that they'll be selling in the bookstore. Uh, the one that I'll probably be using is this one on my right, which is a study edition of the interior castle. So it's a lot, it's a lot thicker. Uh, the text is the same. You know, the, the essential text is what it is. Uh, the study edition has some more notes in it. I'll be using some of those. Probably not all of them, but I'll be using some of them. So if this book will be available and is available in the bookstore. Is that correct? Yeah, minimum, excuse me, I have minimum copies, but I do have a list here that people can sign up if this is the one that they want, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I will have them by the next meeting on the 29th, for sure. Who's the translator? The translator for the book, the Tan book is, because we're going from Spanish to English, let's see, the translator is Father Benedict Zimmerman. Oh, excuse me, it says the translator, translated, it just says the Benedictines of Stanbrook. Stanbrook. And this one is translated by the Interior Castle Study Edition. It's translated by, it looks like there are two, I'm guessing they're Carmelites, Kiernan Kavanaugh and. Rodriguez? Yes. Okay. You have that one, okay. One thing I do need to get out is the book from Tan, which is fourteen ninety five, is available now. I can get it. The one that Father's going to be using from Carmelites is out of stock right now, and I have no idea when it'll be back in stock as to when I get it. 